Hey, Lou Rosenfeld here. I recorded this podcast with Harry Max a month or two ago. It is now April 8th, and I'm happy to tell you that the book will be published on May 14th, 2024. Until then, you can get it on pre-order from Rosenfeld Media for 15% off. You can also pick up a copy at Amazon. You are listening to the Rosenfeld Review. I'm Lou Rosenfeld. I'm very happy to have my friend, uh, today's guest, Harry Max, join us. Harry, hello. Hey, Lou. It's great to be here. Thank you. Glad to have you. Um, You may know Harry, uh, an executive player coach, consultant, hands-on product design development leader with lots of sordid tales to tell from the valley. He's been there for quite some time with a little uh, detour in Texas, as I recall. Uh, And uh, Harry uh, is also the author of a forthcoming Rosenfeld Media book in our Two Waves imprint. It's called Managing Priorities, How to Create Better Plans and Make Smarter Decisions. Harry, I'm really excited by this. I mean, you know, there's it's another topic that we've been really interested in because it's a universal topic, but coming from someone that's from kind of our home turf of UX design and related areas, uh, I find there's a lot of people, like we have Jorge Arango's book coming out in a, in a couple of weeks uh, on note-taking. That's another universal topic that um, I think having someone with a design perspective, or at least that background, add something to. Now, you're going at prioritization, which is like, you know, one of the most important things out there. And we can come, we can, uh, a little later, maybe we'll get to the the aspects of prioritization that people with a design program might have some superpowers with. But, I mean, let's just talk about prioritization in general. Like, you know, we all do it, and it's always bad. Right. I mean, like nobody seems to do it well. Uh, is it because we don't take it seriously? We don't have the tools or w- w- why are we so bad at it? We're, we're not. We're actually brilliant at prioritization. Um, Wait a minute. All right. We're, we're, why am I so bad at it? You're not. You're brilliant at it. You're you're brilliant at first order prioritization, which is uh, if a lion is uh, looking at you and licking its chops, you're going to run. Right. That's prioritizing. And uh, the thing is, is because you're so good at first order prioritization, you actually think you're great at it everywhere else, but you're not Hmm. because it turns out that, you know, prioritization is its own thing. And because we're so good at it in this first order capacity, we don't understand that it really needs to be a first class citizen when we bring our, you know, poorly evolved jungle selves into the workplace. Is there some sort of... um... Like that first order uh, class of prioritization, is that a an evolutionary thing? Like, you know, literally we have to know how to do fight or flight because for, you know, a few hundred thousand years, that's what we had to do. That was the type of thing we dealt with on a daily basis. Whereas a lot of the things that we're trying to prioritize now and, and maybe are failing with are things that weren't around maybe even 100 years ago, like the, the, the volume of maybe second, third order 
things that we need to prioritize has, has mushroomed, and we're not even biologically created to do that kind of prioritization. Would you say that's accurate, or is it maybe a little different than... No, I think, I think that's right. I mean, the environments have gotten more complicated that we're in. The situations are more extreme on some level. Uh, the number, the range of things that we have to address at the level of, you know, figuring out what matters most and least is far broader than it ever was. It used to be like, huh, am I going to eat the red berry or the blueberry, right? And, uh, and, and now it's, you know, gee, I, I've got a you know, de-risk a portfolio of, of IT investments while we're implementing, you know, artificial intelligence. How am I going to go go about that? So, you know, you mentioned first order. Is there a, 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 essentially some sort of categorization scheme of second, third order? And what are those? And do we do you help us prioritize differently in those different settings? Ab- absolutely. I mean, the, the book really takes a look at the holistic topic of prioritization by by basically um, embracing the thesis that the best organizations somehow figure out how to prioritize. And those organizations are composed of teams that figure out how to prioritize. And those teams are composed of individual contributors and frontline managers who figure out what matters most and least. And the challenge in, in, in this regard is that, you know, individual contributors tend to conflate uh, or confuse prioritization with personal productivity and time management. Hmm. And organizations tend to conflate it with annual or strategic planning. And the thing is, is teams generally do a pretty good job because they've had to and figure out how to how to do it in the past. So what I'm doing in the book is separating the view of, okay, if you're looking at it at an organizational level, what is how should you be thinking about it? If you're looking at it from an individual view, how should you be thinking about it? And from a team perspective, what, you know, what should you be considering there? And then separating it into episodic or one time or very infrequent priorities or prioritization versus kind of habitual priorities and prioritization. Uh, So separating all this out and then um, and then highlighting the fact that it's not just about things, right? You prioritize people, you prioritize places, you prioritize tools, you prioritize activities, projects, and so on and so forth. And yet the language that we often use when we're talking about prioritization is often about the prioritization of things or to-do list items or uh, projects. Well, you just laid out a like a whole ontology of prioritization, maybe a, or maybe a landscape would be a, a better view or way to think about it. Um, and, you know, a couple things I take away from that. One is it, it sounds like there's issues of cadence to keep in mm-hmm. mind. There, there's the cadence of the one time or infrequent or maybe, mm-hmm. you know, regular, but, you know, every year types of partisan acts versus the things that are ongoing and, and, and are maybe happening so frequently that it's hard to even distinguish party, you know, the events from each other, you know, you're just like in constant prioritization mode. It's not like you ever sort of finish. You're just doing it for the same things on an ongoing basis. So um, that's an interesting couple things you're teasing apart. Um, also, this sort of difference between the individual prioritization versus the team versus the organizational. Now, 
Um, do you find that, and um, maybe you do this in the book, that you sort of set up people to understand prioritization at its sort of essence at an individual level, and then you kind of, once I'm, I sort of know how to do my own prioritization, we can scaffold up to the team level, and then from there scaffold up to an organizational level, or are those three types of prioritization, individual, team, and organization, discrete and don't really have that much in common? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, you know, the the fact is, is there's no way to understand organizational prioritization without understanding team prioritization. And there's no way, because an organization is a team of teams. Mm -hmm. There's no way to understand team prioritization if you don't understand individual prioritization. So the fact is, there is a general theory, if you will, or a general process uh, of prioritization that applies to all three. The book lays out, um, starting with individual prioritization, you know, what priorities are, what the process is, so on and so forth, and then ladders that up to how to think about that in a team context, and then ladders that up again for organizations. So that is a, a scaffolding process, and that's good. So you, and I think, you know, that's what you do in the book. You bring people, you know, from, you know, in that sort of telescoping from individual all the way up to organizational level. But I think the process you use, maybe you can tell us a little bit about it, is called DGAP. Mm -hmm. And that's the sort of overarching, almost philosophy, as well as process to prioritization. Why don't you talk a little bit about what DGAP stands for and what it is? Sure. DGAP isn't, first off, it's an acronym, uh, D-E-G-A-P, and it represents closing a gap between a current state and a desired state. The idea is that you know, your priorities are your inputs to your plans and your decisions. And uh, in order to execute a good decision or to develop a, a smarter plan, uh, I should have said that the other way around, uh, develop a better plan and make a smarter decision, um, you've got to know what your options are. And uh, and, and so there, there, it turns out there's a repeatable process for this. It took a while to figure out. but. The, the D in DGAP is really decide. Decide if you have enough time, right? Decide if it's appropriate, right? Decide if you're going to be, make the investment. It's a cost-benefit analysis. If you're going to make the investment to slow down and, um, and, and, and invest in being intentional about prioritizing. Engage, the E, is about uh, getting, uh, it's about committing to that process. It's about figuring out who your stakeholders are. And sometimes those stakeholders are internal. Like my, I want to buy a fancy new car and like my internal CFO is saying, don't do it, save yourself. Yeah. But my fun, my, my, my fun love car motorcycling self is like, yes, get the Porsche. Uh, so there's a battle going on there amongst internal stakeholders and my external stakeholders, like my partner, she's like, uh, bad plan. I'd like to retire. <laughs> you go around buying Porsches. That ain't going to happen, right? So engaging in the process is about the commitment to follow through with prioritization and engaging stakeholders and really starting to get a lay of the land of what what it is you're going to be dealing with. Mm -hmm. Gather, G, D-GAP, gather, is about collecting the information, the items that you need to prioritize, the things that will turn out to be your options, the metadata about those, the information that supports those kinds of things, and starting to figure out like what are what is all this stuff that you're going to have to sort through arrange the a in d gap is around hmm, okay now i've got all this stuff how i'm gonna how am i going to sort it out 
what do I have to uh, deduplicate? What do I have to clarify? Because it's not, I don't get it. It's not self-evident. Um, by the way, what am I optimizing for? What am I trying to do here? So what frameworks might I consider, right? What sorting techni techniques might apply? How might I link these things together? Is there a marketplace simulation like, uh, you know, uh, what was I thinking of? Um, buy a feature is a great mm. example of a marketplace simulation, right? Or are there is there a hybrid method, some some more sophisticated approach that I might apply based on what's important? Once I have that all sorted out, that's when you prioritize the P in in, in DGAP. So D-E-G-A-P, decide, engage, gather, arrange, and prioritize. Now, have you been trying this out with your clients or in the, the sort of situations where you're, you're a fractional uh, executive? Uh, I'm sure that work has influenced what you're doing now and how you've come up with it. But as, as it fe now are you feeding that process back into the, the, the engagements that you're taking on? Yes, for sure. And interestingly, DGAP was not an invention. DGAP was a discovery. It was, it was a result of analyzing what I was doing and what other people were doing that was successful and then figuring out how to turn it into a clever acronym. So um, DGAP, it, it, you know, it's like one of these things that uh, it sounds simple in a way, but it also sounds involved. So, I mean, I know the book is a handbook in some sense to, to help a reader do this process, but you know, and you want people to take it seriously. That's, it's one of these things we don't take seriously enough, but does it, um, it, it almost sounds like it, it could be a little intimidating. Is this something that uh, most anyone can do? Is it, the, you know, at an individual level? Is it going to take a lot of time? Uh, give us sort of rough in uh, what is it like to go through this process as an individual and maybe as a, a team in an org? Yeah. Uh, the first two chapters in the book really make the case that you have to prioritize prioritization. <laughs> right. You've got to consider the possibility that if you want different results, you might have to do something different. And if you want those different results, it would behoove you to understand it, what that process might look like, whether it's something that you can run in a lightweight way for yourself or with the people you're working with. And then you don't have to read the whole book if you're interested in improving the quality of your life. You can read those first chapters to understand how to prioritize prioritization, read about DGAP, just to wrap your head around what that meta process is, and then read chapter, I guess it's eight and nine around how to prioritize for yourself and stop there. Like you walk away from chapters eight and nine with two or three critical ideas that I've been using with executive coaching clients and people who have worked for me and, uh, and other folks in my life for years and years and years to great effect. It's partly how I became an executive coach, right? People are like, wow, that changed my life, right? This simple idea. Well, now it's documented. And mm -hmm. if you want to learn about it, I'll tell you about it here, or you can read the book. And then I guess you have a, a couple more chapters for teams and a couple more for orgs. And it's it's like very systematic and, and mm -hmm. approachable. Um, well, um, let's take a quick break. Uh, 
And uh, and then we after the break we will we will degap we'll start up again. Sorry, I just couldn't resist. Uh, while you're all rolling on the floor, no. While you're all rolling your eyes, uh, I'll remind you you're listening to the Rosenfeld Review. I'm talking with Harry Max, and we'll be right back. Hey, it's Lou, and you know that I like to tell you about upcoming conferences. We do four of them a year. This one's extra special. Advancing Research 2024 is going to be the first in-person conference we've done since 2019. Thank goodness. I can't wait to see people in person. It's going to take place in New York City at the Museum of the Moving Image, a great venue. We've used it before. March 25th and 26th with workshops on March 27th. Advancing Research, this is the fifth edition. We uh, really speak to people who are at least midway through their careers and are looking to get way past the 101 stuff. You'll love to know that the featured speakers are Trisha Wong, Victor Udewewa, Steve Portugal, and Neil Barry. Got some other great people on the program, like Nalini Katamraju, Nick Fine, Robin Beers, a bunch of other great folks, and a great lineup of workshops. So if you are a researcher of any kind and you want to be with other researchers in a really great intimate venue with really high quality content, join us at Advancing Research 2024. Check it out at advancingresearchconference.com. Welcome back to the Rosenfeld Review. I'm Lou Rosenfeld. I'm talking with Harry Max author of the forthcoming book, Managing Priorities, uh, a two-waves imprint from Rosenfeld Media. And uh, Harry, you just gave us this really great set of insights about the DGAP process to help people through prioritization, whether they're an individual, whether they're on a team, uh, part of an organization, as well as touching on the fact that um, you know, the things we prioritize can really vary quite a bit from uh, projects to people and work at different cadences. Um, you've got this elaborate uh, almost philosophy as well as, as I said, an ontology uh, for prioritization. Um, it didn't happen overnight, I assume. You've been on a journey. You've been not only in the Valley, but you've been working in product and design uh since uh what the mid 90s and um tell how'd how'd you get here how'd you you find your way to prioritization yeah i mean it's i'll try to keep it short but i mean the gist of it is you know i started my career in technical documentation and uh very early in my career i had this insight that like everything we were writing about was just bad design because we were trying to explain stuff that didn't work and uh, so I made a proposal when I was at Silicon Graphics. It was the company that built the, the the systems that allowed for the rendering of Jurassic Park, which is really the first CG, fully CG compelling movie that you know that that hit the market. And I was responsible for advanced technical writing team there, and uh, technical marketing communication. And I was like, you know, we got to stop writing all this documentation and start fixing the product. And uh, you know that was I didn't realize it at the time. That was both a prioritization problem and a user experience problem, mm-hmm. right? And that was really my entry into design. Uh, I was not a designer. I'm not a visual guy at all. I can't draw a picture to save my life. But uh, very quickly, uh, I used the process of rewriting the documentation to design how our installation process should run the software. And then he rewrote, rewrote the software in order to map to how the documentation should work so that somebody wouldn't need it. And 
I went on to uh, eventually found a company or co-found a company called Virtual Vineyards. It became Wine.com. My boss's boss from Silicon Graphics was my partner. And uh, that was really about figuring out, this was like the 1994, right? And we, we wanted to sell wine and specialty food and products and things online. Uh, by the way, nobody was doing anything like oh, that. Oh, yeah. No I, I just want to interject. And actually, I was having a conversation this morning with a guy who's about 25. He was asking me about what the Internet was like back then. And I, I said, well, the debate at one point was whether we should even be allowed to sell things. On the internet. That's right. Remember that? Anyway. I I very well. I'm sure (laughs) you Well, and in fact, you know, I know you can't see behind your head right now, but, you know, in those days, web pages were like those tiles behind your head. They weren't connected, right? It was a stateless environment. So if you did something on one page, didn't carry to another page, right? So you couldn't pick a book. You couldn't say, hey, I want to read this book, like Oliver, you know, Berkman's 4,000 Weeks, and, and say, hey, that's great, let me go to the shopping cart, because there was no shopping cart, because if you went to the shopping cart, it was just a blank page. No way to connect those things. So we built the first session, server-side session manager that allowed you to carry things from one page to another, mm. and then I built a very, very clean design that made it possible to move from one page to another and turned out to be the interaction architecture for what shopping is today, right? It didn't exist before the launch of Virtual Vineyards, which was in January of 1995, right? That's why I'm bald. I'm old. Um, and, uh, and and sort of going on, you know, I, I, after Virtual Vineyards, I, I, you know, I was recruited to, you know, help companies, you know, in user experience and web-related you know, back to what was the internet like? It was the internet. It wasn't the World Wide Web, right? The World Wide Web really blossomed out of all of that. And so I ended up, you know, consulting and then eventually having some jobs and becoming executive coach and ended up at DreamWorks and then eventually got recruited to be a design leader at a company called Rackspace in Texas. And I'm shortening the whole story way down, but when I was at Rackspace, I was, um, you know, because I was an executive there, a design executive, was responsible for product design um, and experience design, not just the actual, you know, how, how's it going to look and work, but what's the experience of that? And I, you know, was always sharing, oh, here's what design thinking is, and here's how to think about design stuff, and it, it always informed the frameworks that I would use and how I would help people think about things. And I was getting a lot of feedback that these design frameworks and design thinking um, approaches to not just what we were doing inside the business, but what was going on in people's lives was really helping them. And Rackspace asked me to put a talk together on problem framing and diagnostic thinking, which became a South by Southwest talk and a TEDx talk. It's called The Problem is Not the Problem. And uh, I was giving that talk at a number of environments, USAA, Adobe, and other places. Nobody cared. Right. The hands all went up when I touched on the pro- on, on, on prioritization and it, 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 like a light went on for me. It was like, oh, wait, that's what people care about. Right. Why is that? And I thought, how, how hard could it be to write a book? So it turns out it was really hard. But it that's always separate... is. Don't uh, that. Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> yeah. And, and so it turns out that, you know, designers have a different way of seeing the world. It's kind of this outside in, inside out ability to zoom in and zoom out and then look at things from a process point of view and then recognize that the process is not the thing. It's just an enabler. We could go on philosophically for a long time about this. But the idea is that DGAP 
was really nothing more than a design thinking framework. It's the same double diamond. It's just applied to figuring out what your options are and what you ought to be considering in terms of your planning or in terms of your decision making rather than what you're going to implement or how something's going to look or work or feel. So it, it's basically, uh, you know, uh, an approach that's born out of an existing body of knowledge about design. However, I'll bet you still find that people in design have some unique challenges when it comes to prioritization, uh, as well as maybe some unique superpowers. What are you seeing there? Uh, many things. One of the so one of the key challenges is that designers often have more flexible thinking than the people that they're working with. And communicating that requires additional tooling, additional ways of uh, communicating, um, and sort of more intellectual flexibility. So you don't end up being the person in black trying to tell somebody how something ought to be. You're really engaging them in a consultative um, conversation in order to paint a picture of what the world could be like and then helping them figure out how they're going to get there. And so recognizing that as designers, we have to deal with levels of uncertainty, right? We going from the concrete to the very abstract. And so when we're using tools like roadmaps, we can't just paint a picture of a roadmap or look, oh, here's what the user journey is going to look like. Here's what the mental model is going to be. Here's how all these pages are going to link together. Here's how it's going to look and work and feel and so on and so forth. Because as designers, we have to be able to step back and help people recognize, look, there's a high degree of certainty around this stuff, but there's a low degree of certainty in our understanding about this stuff. And so we have to use those tools as designers to help people think. And that's really, I think, the power of design is it helps people think. And so we need to not be so attached to the, to the discipline of design as we are attached to the discipline of thinking. Well, and I think that's a, a good place to leave it. I mean, I, um, you know, the, he, here you're giving us uh, an incredibly powerful way of looking at prioritization that comes from design and, and that uh, I think you would agree it's not just a, a, a technique that can help designers with their own priorities, but uh, help designers be better at helping their organizations and their teams prioritize and being agents of prioritization. That's exactly right. I mean, the book is really for change agents, fundamentally, and designers are change agents. I mean, I have hundreds of books behind me on the bookshelf that's all blurred out that tell you how important prioritization is. None of them tell you in detail how to think about it or how to do it. Harry, I'm glad that we're, we we finally got a book that does that. It's been a long time coming, and I'm I'm really glad to be part of that. Uh, before we wrap up, um, in fine Rosenfeld Media, um, Rosenfeld Review uh, tradition, uh, I want to know what gift you brought for our listeners. You know, I I am strongly advocating that people pick up a copy of Oliver Berkman's book, Four Thousand Weeks, and if they feel so inclined sign up for his BBC master, uh, Maestro course on that topic. He has such a beautiful philosophical approach to personal productivity and time management. It is, uh, it is so refreshing because, you know, what he's doing is debunking that the rat race is so challenging because, you know, the, the, the more you dive into it, the bigger and faster the rats get. And what he's saying is no, 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 you have, you, you, 
you can't manage time. Time manages you. I'm not going to screw up his message and try to communicate that right here, right now. But when people pick up a book on prioritization, right, what they really want to know is how is this going to make my life get better? And one place to start is by taking yourself off the hook for trying to do more in the same period of time. And Oliver's book, I think, does a brilliant job of that. Well, I think it was the uh, best-selling business book in, uh, was it came out in uh, 22, I believe, right? Mm. 22 or 21. And, and uh, yeah, I mean, I, I just happened by, by accident to work in the same co-working space uh, as Oliver in, in Brooklyn. And uh, just a great guy and a decent guy, you know, a, a guy who very quietly, uh, not self-promotionally, seems to, to come up with just, you know, this, this, these brilliant ideas. So uh, you're certainly not the first person to rave about 4,000 Weeks by Oliver Berkman. Uh, I hope you'll all be raving about Managing Priorities by Harry Max as well uh, in 2024. Looking forward for... Uh, that getting out to uh, the listeners and uh, and not just the designers out there, but everyone, because everyone prioritizes. Harry, thank you so much for joining us today. Great to talk with thank you. Thank you. Yeah, I really appreciated the opportunity. Thanks, Lou. Thanks for listening to the Rosenfeld Review, brought to you by Rosenfeld Media. If you like our show, please subscribe and review it on iTunes.